Hello and welcome to the VentureForth Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani. We'll be chatting with some of the most interesting founders, startups, and VCs about the experiences that led them to where they are today, what they're currently working on, as well as the journey ahead of them. On today's show, I'm very excited to welcome Bill Clark, the founder and CEO of MicroVentures. MicroVentures is an online equity crowdfunding platform that enables accredited investors to connect with startups, businesses, and services to raise capital or participate in secondary market opportunities. Bill has spent nearly 20 years in financial services, securities, and crowdfunding, so I can't think of a more knowledgeable person to discuss raising money under Title III of the Jobs Act. MicroVentures has raised millions for startups and backing several multi-billion dollar companies including Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Yelp, and many more before they reach the public markets. Most recently, Indiegogo partnered with MicroVentures to launch their Title III equity crowdfunding platform, which allows anyone to invest in startups and growing companies. While there are inherent risks to investing in general, I think this is a very exciting time to be a startup founder. I'd really like to thank my friend Ernesto Pais, also of MicroVentures, for the introduction, and I'm thrilled to welcome Bill to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Well, I'd love to start out by just learning about your background and how you found your way into venture capital. Okay, yeah. I guess to start, went to Michigan State, major was in finance, and I always knew that I wanted to do something um, in, I I wanted to own my own business, but I didn't really know what it was. And so the advice that I was given by my father was to go out and work for a couple of years and try to figure out what it was that that would interest me and that I wanted to, to do. So I ended up getting into financial services. And after a few you know, jobs out of school, my first major job was at Dell Financial Services. And I was on the credit risk management team. Most of my time there was spent on the small business side. And it involved working with small businesses and providing them with credit lines so that they could buy computers and you know whatever it was that, that Dell sells, which could also be consulting as well. So did that for about eight years. And about the, the end of that time, so around 2007, 2008, when the market was starting to tank uh, because of the mortgage crisis, we started cutting credit lines. I, I saw that there was an impact to small businesses and I wanted to figure out a way to help them. And so that's where the seed was planted, that there might be an opportunity there, but I really wasn't sure what it was. And then I left out Dell Financial Services and I went to PayPal and I did something very similar there for merchants that were looking to process. And I did that for a couple of years. And while there, I was able to fine tune the idea for MicroVentures. And what I really did was I kind of modeled it off of Prosper and Lending Club and what they were doing. And I said, you know, there's, there's got to be a way to do, do the same thing for equity that they're doing uh, with debt. And so that's, that's kind of how I got to, to start and found the company, which uh, was back in 2009, 2010. And then we were approved for the broker dealer in 2000 and 2010 and started raising in 2011. So it was just from my desire to help startups raise money. And also on the other side, which I didn't mention, 
I was very interested in investing in companies, but I didn't have the accredited status. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, to participate and I didn't have you know $50,000 to put into a company and, and multiple companies to in order to spread around the risk. And so just trying to find a solution for you know just the average investor who wants to invest in private companies. So MicroVentures isn't your traditional venture capital firm. Can you kind of talk about how MicroVentures works and how you are different in that way? Yeah, so we don't have a traditional fund that has been set aside to invest in in companies. We do create some funds that do that, and so we do have the ability to to make smaller investments, but that's not our main business. The difference between the major difference is that we go out and we source deals and deal flow and we we look for those opportunities that we think would be a good fit for our platform. We do the due diligence on those companies and then we list it for our investors to invest. So well, the way I think of it is instead of having 50 to 100 LPs, we have 10 to 20,000 LPs and they have the ability to get into any opportunity that they want to. So instead of investing 100000 into a fund, and that fund may be making investments in, let's just say, 10 to 20 companies, you can make two, three, five thousand, ten thousand dollars $5,000, $10,000 investments in all the companies that you want to and, and create your own portfolio. That's a very interesting model, and it seems like it's becoming a more a more popular model nowadays. Now that the, uh, we have Title III uh, from the Jobs Act, so how much has MicroVentures raised for companies to date? So we've raised a little over a hundred million dollars, and on, and that's on the five hundred six side. So that and and what that means is for mainly for accredited investors. So more of the private deals. So if you come to MicroVentures, you wouldn't see those opportunities until you register and are approved. Then on the Title Three side, which you referenced, which is done through a partnership with Indiegogo and the crowdfunding portal, which is called First Democracy VC, we've raised just over $2 million. Wow. And we just got started uh, two, or sorry, three months ago. That's fantastic. Can you talk about how the partnership came about? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? I'd mm-hmm. love to learn about that. Yeah, I, I think that you know the best partnerships happen over a long period of time of getting to know each other. And I've known Slava Rubin from Indiegogo, uh, one of the, the founders, for, I want to say, at least five years now. And I met him at South by Southwest in Austin when we were just getting started. And we just would connect every maybe once a year. And I would bug him multiple times saying, hey, we should partner together. We can raise money for some of the companies that that are kind of venture worthy, I guess, when they get to that stage. And, you know, we would talk about it every once in a while, but nothing ever firm came about it. And then once the Jobs Act or so once Title Three, the Jobs Act was enacted and then um, we knew that it was coming to, I guess, what's the right term? So when the rule was available for us to use, so May of, of 2016, that's when we started having um, discussions about what a partnership could look like. And then um, we were able to work out those terms. And then in November, we launched our first four opportunities. That's awesome. Yeah, I think there's a couple of really interesting opportunities on the site, and then the hits are just keep on coming. 
Talk to me about the platform. You still have the side of it where only accredited investors can invest, right? And then this Indiegogo partnership is sort of restricted to, well, not restricted, I guess unrestricted, and anybody can invest in that. Yes, correct. So we have two businesses right now. So our accredited business is where that is a very consistent business for us that we've been doing for five plus years now. We invest in early seed stage companies all the way up and up to late stage companies. Some of the ones that you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, the, the later stage ones, we're investing in private stock, usually from a employee who's left the company. Sometimes an employee could still be there or an investor and we're purchasing their shares. And then we also do uh, on the on the smaller companies, so series seed all the way to, let's just say like series B, uh, we'll invest directly in the companies and we'll do direct due diligence with them. So that's, that's the one side of our business that you do have to be accredited to participate in, in those opportunities. But then the Title III side of the business, that's open to everyone. When you come in, you can immediately invest. We are a funding portal and that's registered through FINRA. So, you know, we have to do a KYC, know your customer. We do, um, office foreign asset control checks and you know there's various things that we have to do so it's not like a perks based raise where you can just put in like a credit card and invest you know this is more of either through a wire or through an ach process and you know you have to sign documents but basically the sky's the limit in the the types of investments that we look at so on the accredited side most of our deals are tech deals and that was you know, just by design, trying to build a niche in that area. But for Title Three, we are really open to anything. And when we launched, we made sure that we had various industries covered so that we could show people who came to the site that we're going to be very open to any type of deal. So just trying to remember the company. So we had a company called Artcraft, which was a, a gaming company. They had a video game. That one's actually in Austin, down the street from us. The next one was Republic Restoratives. That is a distillery in Washington, D.C. And they had six months of being in business, opened the distillery, and we were able to raise 300000 through a revenue share deal with them. So that's kind of exciting as a different type of opportunity than we've offered in the past, where as sales come in, you can get paid back quarterly until you're paid back one and a half times your original investment. So we, we like that as a, you know, just to shake things up a little from just the straight equity or, or debt deals. Then we had a company called Play Impossible, which is a hardware company very early, but they had venture backing or we knew that they were going to be uh, venture backed and, and they actually got investment during our round. And then BeatStars was a, a company that sells beats online and uh, that was our tech deal. And so those were the first four. And then um, we have a lot more and I don't I won't go through all of them. But the only other one that I'll just mention is the field guide to evil, which is a movie which we didn't launch in the original four, but that was afterwards. And so we're you know, we are all we are all over the place as far as the types of opportunities that we'll look for entertainment. It, it, it doesn't matter. Restaurants, tech deals. Right. And so because it's going through Indiegogo, does that mean that if they don't meet their funding goals, that people are still investing in the company and then the, the business has to potentially find the funds elsewhere? So the way that it works is with, so you can go to equity.indiegogo.com to see the opportunities, but you can't invest there. 
you have to invest at microventures.com. And the reason for that is there can only be one single source of information and it's, it, sh- it needs to all be basically in one place. So uh, we decided that microventures.com would be the place to do that. And so they, you know, with, with Indiegogo, they have different, uh, for the perks-based campaigns, there's a, a different type of raise where, like you were saying, you know, if you don't hit your goal, you, you can still close your deal. With equity, and this is really, you know, going back to the rules, you have to set a minimum, you have to set a maximum. And if you don't hit that minimum, investors will be refunded their money. And so a lot of times you'll see an investment like Artcraft, for example, I believe their minimum was 150,000 and their maximum was 100, or sorry, a million. So once they hit that 150, then that deal was, was going to eventually close. But if we, for some reason, were only able to raise 130000 then we would return the funds back to investors. I see. That makes a lot of sense. And so it sounds like they can't sort of over-raise or exceed their goals just like you could uh, on the traditional crowdfunding platforms because there's only probably so much equity that the company wants to, to sell or however they decide to structure their deal. Correct. So you have to be very specific in what you want to raise. The, a million is the most that you can do. But for Republic Restoratives, we raised 300000 That was their maximum goal. But we ended up raising that before their close date. And so it just had to kind of hang out there and, and, and sit out there for a few extra days. We probably could have raised an extra 100000 or more. There was a lot of interest in that revenue share deal. And we, you can't oversubscribe. Or you can, but you have to amend your Form C, which you file with the SEC. And then you have to go back and ask people if they still want to invest. And so there's a, you know, there's a, a long process that you have to go through. And so sometimes it's just not worth it. How involved are you with uh, your portfolio company founders? I am as involved as I can be. I was on a call today with a company that's being acquired and we were discussing the terms. I am on the board of one of the companies that we're an investor in. Every company that provides an update, I read those and look and see if there's any way that I can help them. But it's not just me. It's a team effort Uh, at MicroVentures. We've got 19 people on our team. Ernesto, who you referenced before, he's in charge of our investments and our portfolio. So he meets regularly with all the companies. And that's a little that is where we are different from other VCs as well, is that we have so many companies and a lot of our focus is raising money that we don't have that team that is just focused on helping the companies grow. So we, we, you know, we all chip in to do that and we can utilize our network and our database to help the entrepreneurs if they need a connection somewhere. But if a company is struggling or if they have issues, Ernesto or I will jump on the call immediately. We'll do whatever it takes to, to help them out because at the end of the day, it's a portfolio company. We have investors that we want to keep happy, and we want to make sure we can do anything we can to to uh, help the companies out. So when you have these calls, occasionally, you know, th- there's a lot of really great news and great reports and stuff, but then oftentimes there's challenges that the companies are facing, you know, performance of the teams and that sort of thing. So what are your thoughts on dealing with underperforming management teams, and how do you work with them, and what happens when they don't improve? That's a really good question. And with underperforming teams, a lot of times we will make suggestions and we'll become more involved with them in order to really hold them to the goals that they have. 
we will reach out to others who have invested in the company and ask them for you know what they're thinking and see if we can work together to come up with a solution or a plan. But we, when we're investing, we don't typically lead around, and usually we're not. I mean, sometimes we're the the largest investor, but most of the time we're kind of middle of the pack, maybe slightly above that. You know, our average investment is about two hundred and fifty, maybe three hundred thousand on the early stage side, and so we will we'll basically do whatever we can to help. And there's sometimes we have to have those tough conversations with founders to say, maybe you need to be the visionary of the company, but it's time to bring on somebody to help you with growing, or maybe you don't have the sales experience needed to grow this. And we, we need to bring on somebody to help with that. So we'll, we'll definitely have those conversations, but to be fair, we're not as active as let's say a VC would be when it comes to that. And there's, that's a, a definite advantage of, a true VC. Can you talk about the reality of how long and difficult those deals can be and what happens if the only option is to shut down and or take a subpar offer? Yeah, so when we one of the things that we always ask our companies in our quarterly updates is how much cash do you have on hand and what's your burn rate? So we want to understand from that we'll ask them are you know if if it looks like they only have a 6 month runway, we'll ask when they're raising next we'll try to learn what the companies are thinking. But when they get to that point where it doesn't look like they're going to to be able to raise any more money and they aren't growing, you know, where they can sustain themselves, we'll start to have those conversations around, well, let's let's start talking to potential acquirers. And so M&A could be something that we get into in the future. But right now, it's just something that we that we try to help with and and use utilizing our connections to get the team to the right person at a specific company to talk to them. But we're not deeply involved in those conversations yet. We have been on a one off basis, but it's um, it's very rare. But we, we try to help them come up with a list and use our network to, to see where we can add value. You're based in Austin, Texas, uh, a place that's sort of known for, I guess, South by Southwest, live music, barbecue, and, and generally known for being weird. Uh, it's also a growing startup hub as well, and I'd be curious to see what your thoughts are on the startup and funding ecosystem in Austin and how it's different compared to here in the Valley. I think that the difference, the main difference is that investors in Austin aren't always willing to take a big risk on a very early stage company where in the Valley, it's just inherent in the DNA of everyone because it's just, that's the culture. And so you have investors looking for, and, and rightly so, a, a valuation that's, that's favorable, looking for that traction and really that growth that you may not need in the Valley to get that seed capital. So we do see, you know, unfortunately, some of our companies, you know, just in Austin that, that leave to go fundraising and then they come back. Um, Josh Bear from the Capital Factory has done a great, great job uh, at trying to keep companies here, help them out and, and network. And that's it's a great program in Austin for that. And, you know, we try to support companies wherever we can from Austin. And, and actually, I think we're at three of the eight companies that we've done for Title Three not on purpose, just happen to be Austin companies. And so I'm seeing a lot of good deal flow coming out of Austin, where when I first started, Austin may have been one out of 20. Now it seems to be, you know, maybe even one out of 10, where, right. you know, we're seeing some good opportunities. 
So what's next for MicroVentures in 2017 and beyond? 2017 is, I mean, our main focus because our partnership with Indiegogo started just three months ago. The focus is going to be growing that and listing more companies. We still, like if you go to the site right now, there's only three opportunities, which isn't bad. But eventually we'll have five to eight companies at a time up there still learning as we continue to go see what what people are interested in investing in. So the focus will be on that and then growing our, you know, our private deals as well. We've got some other initiatives that we'll be working on uh, with larger institutional investors, but that's probably closer to the end of the year, start of 2018. Definitely. So how can people get involved with MicroVentures now that anybody can invest in these deals? Well, there's two ways. So one, one way you can go to microventures.com slash startups and you can submit a request for funding. And we look at every company that comes through. Now, we may not respond to every company because we get a lot of them that come through, but every one of them we will look at. Uh, you can also do that at Indiegogo, and they, um, no matter where it comes from, either one, we'll, we'll be looking at those. Because we're always, you know, the more companies that we have, especially in the, the small business side, which hasn't been our focus for for many years, um, you know, we're, we're just as excited about those types of opportunities. And then from the investor side, it's very easy. It's just, you know, just come to microventures, microventures.com and, and sign up and it's free to do that. And you can, you can check it out and see if there's any, anything that you're interested in. Awesome. Well, so I would like to jump right into the quick fire round, uh, or, you know, kind of get to know you as well, personally, outside of the business. Uh, the first thing I'd like to ask you is, is what is your favorite book? Okay, so favorite book. Okay, so for an investment type book, my favorite book is Venture Deals. It's from Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson. I love that book. We have a bunch of copies here in the office. Anytime somebody new comes to MicroVentures, we give them the book and we tell them to read it, keep it by you, and you're going to learn from it. We've given them out to investors. Then I guess outside of that, I try to read every day just to right before bed just to keep my mind off of uh, the business. And I like, um, you know, John Grisham. What else? Vince Flynn, who does um, the Mitch Rapp series, those, those types of things, things that are outside of the business world just to keep my mind off of it when I'm going to bed. But Absolutely. I, I love venture deals. That is like a like a Bible to me when I was getting yes. into the business. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you collect, if anything, and why? I don't really collect anything right now. I'm trying to, yeah, no, I, I don't, don't collect anything. Just startups. <laughs> there are some very impressive logos on the MicroVentures site. Thank uh, you. <laughs> as an investor, if you could ask founders any question before making a funding decision, what would it be? The main question that we like to ask is why did you start the company? And that answer will determine whether or not we decide to move forward. Because if the entrepreneur isn't passionate about the company and isn't going to be excited about coming to work every day because there's a specific reason that they started the company, then a couple years in, it's going to get old and they're going to get tired. Startups are hard and we want people there for the right reasons. Not just, I think I can make a lot of money. That's Everyone wants to make money, but you have to do it for a specific reason. Right, definitely. Uh, MBAs, good or bad founders? I don't have an MBA. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. 
We funded entrepreneurs that are 18 years old. We funded uh, with, with, you know, just out of high school. So it, it honestly doesn't matter. What is your most recent public investment and why did you say yes? I don't do a lot of investing. Personally, I have a advisor that helps me with that because I'm so focused on microventures, but I do play around a little bit. My last investment was Tesla and I invested because at the time they had taken a little bit of a hit and I would never bet against Elon. If you could be the CEO of any one of your portfolio companies for one day, what company would it be and why? <laughs> okay. What company? There's some very impressive names on there. Shoot, that's a that's a tough question. Hmm. I got to go to my portfolio page and, and think <laughs> about this for a minute. Oh gosh, you stumped me on this one. There's so many, and I'm trying to think of one that. Um, it's a very impressive portfolio. So. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of them to scroll through here. Um, I mean, uh, let's. See. I mean, we're okay. So we're okay. I got it. So we are investors in Lyft, but we invested in the secondary market, so we're not direct investors. I would be the CEO of Lyft for one day for the only reason being that they're not in Austin right now because of, you know, some political right. things, fingerprinting, and I miss them so much that that I, I would go back and figure out a way to, to get to get Lyft back in Austin. Actually, a follow-up question to that, actually. So as the CEO of Lyft, what do you do to combat Uber? Well, I'm loving all the press that Uber's getting right now. <laughs> Delete Uber, and and I mean, unfortunately for you know some of the other things around, right. um, you know, the harassment and everything. But that's a tough one. I think that you, I mean, we're we're definitely watching how you know Lyft is getting into several new cities. I think 100 cities this year. I think that they definitely need to continue to expand and be not only in the cities that Uber is in, but other cities, and just figure out you know, how, what's the competitive advantage to Uber? If, if it's just, if it's exactly the same thing, then, then it's just a marketing preference for any, any one person. But, um, I think that Uber or sorry, Lyft is doing a great job of being the, let's just call it the little brother to Uber, the nice company, right? And it's working for them right now. Definitely. Usually we'd like to finish off with a plug opportunity, but we may have caught that one earlier. But yeah, if you'd like to take the opportunity to plug anything you like, uh, this is your this is the opportunity. Yeah, I think that we covered most of it. I would say microventures.com. Sign up as an investor. There's no pressure to invest. Also, our partners, Indiegogo, Indiegogo.com, equity.indiegogo.com. Uh, they've got great perks-based opportunities, so check them out as well. And Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed Absolutely. My time. It was a real pleasure having you on the show, Bill. And so uh, with that, that was Bill Clark, the founder and CEO of MicroVentures. We look forward to sharing your story. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to the VentureForth podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also follow at VentureForthPod on Twitter for our latest updates. As always, I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani, and thank you for listening to the VentureForth podcast.